if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock, hour number two is underway on this Wednesday. Debate reaction morning. It's the 30th morning of the month of September in the year of our Lord, 2020. October is, of course, uh, on the horizon. And uh, that means we're in the home stretch, really, of this presidential election. The first debate was last night. You may notice that I have not played any of the audio clips, and I have a plethora of them at my disposal. Because I, I, my head hurt too much last night, quite frankly. I, ju- I didn't like listening to what we heard. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. I listened to the first hour of it in my car, as I mentioned in the first hour. Because I was coming back from uh, uh, Chesterland, Geauga County uh, Conservative Club, tremendous Trump Day dinner, tremendous support, great crowd, great uh, presenters, great speakers, elected officials, veterans, police, fire on hand. It was phenomenal. I loved every second of it. But I left before the debate started, after my speech and after our wonderful dinner and some, some uh, great socializing. Um, and by the way, I loved the kind of socializing we did. And I'll leave it at that. So I, I listened to the first hour of it in the car on the way home. And then, of course, uh, watched the last half hour on television. And, and i got to tell you, by the time it was all over, I, I didn't want to hear anymore. It was such a verbal food fight. There was just stuff being thrown from one side to the other and back again, maybe strategically, maybe uh, in an undisciplined fan, uh, fan, uh, manner or fashion. See, when you say manner and fashion together, you get fanner or mashin. Anyway, you get the point. Uh, so I'm not playing any of the audio. I am going to remind you of some of the biggest moments, and we will talk about them, and I will, of course, take your, your reaction to them. And that's about it. Now, I will say, as I, I mentioned before, the reason I'm not declaring a winner or a loser, and it would be easy for me just to you know put on my red hat and say, Trump won, Trump won, and a lot of people are doing that. It would also be easy to say, you know, regrettably, Biden won because Trump uh, you know did this, that, or the other thing or came off poorly. At the end of it all, and I should have really said this yesterday going into the debate, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who wins for 90 minutes standing apart from one another. It doesn't matter. Because we have 47 months of Trump's presidency and 47 years of Biden and the federal government to really tell us what we like and don't like about each guy. We have records to run on here. 
Not, hey, here's what I plan to do, but hey, look what I've already done. So last night, I think, was in in general, the debates, if there are to be two more, are largely, if not entirely, inconsequential to making up our minds. I don't believe that anybody who supports Donald Trump is dissuaded from voting for him by last night's performance. And I don't believe anybody that is sick in the head enough to vote for a demon rat socialist in training like Joe Biden is going to be dissuaded from voting for him. And I think the number of people who are undecided in the middle of all of this are, quite frankly, maybe beyond redemption. If you don't have a side picked out by now after watching Donald Trump for 47 months and watching Joe Biden for 47 years, and in particular, <laughs> excuse me, his eight years as vice president, then um, I, you just have a lot more homework to do, I suppose. And it isn't going to be settled by, or it shouldn't be settled by a debate stage. It really ought to be settled by uh, your own study of their records. Look at what they have said they would do and look at what they did. See, that's, that's the reason why campaign promises to me from two guys who have already been through, you know, the, 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 the cycle, if you will. In Biden's case, eight years as vice president and 39 years or whatever it is as a senator. And in Donald Trump's case, just four years as president now. When they've already been through it, you look back at campaign promises and you look and see what was kept and what wasn't. That's the only reason last night's campaign promises or ideas for the future are relevant at all. If they do what they say they're going to do, well, in Joe Biden's case, he hasn't done a doggone thing. I mean, you ask Biden supporters what are his major accomplishments as a senator, and the first one that will come up is, well, the 1994 crime bill that he is now running from because of what it did uh, to uh, African Americans. And what else? What else can you say? You can say Obamacare, but it wasn't Bidencare. It was Obamacare. And his only uh, part in that whole thing was uh, standing on a stage thinking the mic wasn't going to pick up uh, him saying to Barack Obama, this is a big effing deal, except he said the word. Um, that wasn't his either. And if it was, then that's even better because he should be held to account for it because it was a disaster. It raised the premiums on millions and millions of Americans and set the table for private health insurance to be abolished. And was the first step to what he and every other Democrat in America is pushing for right now, which is full-on, 100% socialized, government-run, single-payer, Medicare-for-all health care. So, I mean, other than that, can you name something Joe Biden has done? No, but he's going to say, I've got an answer for this, that, and the other thing. Well, why didn't you tell Barack those answers? If they're so good, how come you didn't whisper that into the ear of Barack Obama and say, here's what I really think we ought to do? And the reason is, is because Barack Obama didn't trust you any more than we should. Because Joe Biden is not an honest person. He's lied. He has plagiarized. He has lied about what schools he attended. He has lied about where he finished in those schools. I mean, he's not a smart candidate. There's a reason why prior to 2020, the year of all years, the year from hell, prior to 2020, every time Joe Biden ran for president, he was done in quick order because every Democrat in the primaries recognized what a terrible candidate he was. He literally had never won a state in a primary prior to winning uh, this year and winning the nomination. And Lord only knows if that would have been the same way had we actually had a Super Tuesday, had we actually had you know a full-on primary campaigning season. Joe Biden's a terrible candidate. And if you can't figure out who you're rooting for now and who you're voting for now, and you need a 90-minute debate 
to to make up your mind for you. I, I fear that you're you're just kind of lost without a GPS. John is in Berea on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, John. Go right ahead, sir. Yes. Uh, along the saying what you just said, unfortunately, there are some people who are undecided, and President Trump needs to do a better job of making his case. I was bothered by his, his um, you know, interrupting. Now, for, for Mr. Biden, one of the strong things he did that President Trump didn't do is he occasionally looked straight into the camera and talked directly to the American people as opposed to the moderator. And I thought that was effective for uh, for Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, there's and President Trump, uh, it was he, he had some great policy things on his side to share. And it didn't kind of all come out that way through the mess of the arguing. So that's, I've got more to say, but you get the general gist of... I do. I get your point, and I think you make very good ones, John, and thanks for the phone call. Yeah, I agree. I think speaking directly into the living rooms of people watching this is effective, and Biden did that a couple times. I think that really does help, and I think President Trump, who pretty much stared at Biden or Chris Wallace the entire time and didn't talk directly to the American people, could take a lesson from that. But I would still say to you, at the end of the day, I don't care. I don't care who comes off a little better in a face-to-face debate setting like this when I know that it isn't just small little things that separate them. But there is a chasm between the type of man and the type of leader that these two men are, uh, you know, between the two of them. Donald Trump is a pro-liberty, pro-constitution, pro-life capitalist. Joe Biden is an anarchistic, far-left, pro-open borders, pro-choice, which means pro-baby murder, Um, socialist in training. He's being pushed and guided along by Bernie Sanders, who helped him write their manifesto together, their, their, their unity platform is what they call it. They don't like the term manifesto. Okay, their unity platform, which is so much of what Bernie Sanders wanted to, to implement when he was running. And it's going to be implemented in a Biden administration. So, I know the difference between the two men. I know what they stand for. And 90 minutes of whether I got through to the people or not is is not going to change that. It's an easy choice. Great call, though, John. Westlake, Elizabeth, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Elizabeth. Go right ahead. Thank you. Um, first of all, I think the thing that bothered me, because I'm a very visual person, is the fact that when there were questions for Trump, often they would put those questions in a white bar at the bottom of the screen. And they never did that for any of the questions to Biden. And they were the kind of questions that were very powerful and poisoning questions. And I don't like to be a conspiracy theorist, but it's like, what are you trying to do? Subliminally put this into our minds? Because the questions were like, it would say, you know, Trump and $750 paid in taxes. You know, and it's the kind of stuff that makes people stop and think, well, why did Fox News do that only for questions for Trump, but not for Biden? That is a very interesting question. Um, I did not notice that partly because, like I said, two thirds of it for I was listening to it on the radio. Um, 
I would say that there is something to that. I don't want to be conspiracy theorist either, but but whether it was intentional or not, uh, it does. And, and the other thing it does, in addition to putting something in somebody's head subliminally, it also just reminds people of what the question was. As the candidates, both of them, and they did plenty of this, veered off into other places while giving their answer. And the question being on the screen reminds everybody, hey, this is what the question was. What are you talking about right now? Uh, and if they only did that for one versus the other, I agree. That could have an impact on the way people viewed it. And, uh, you know, and again, if you are one of the very few, and thank you, Elizabeth, for the call, I think the number is very few undecided voters who are trying to make up your mind based on this uh, particular debate, then, yeah, I suppose that could have an impact. And you make a very fair point. Uh, let me get one from Dave in Lakewood here. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. I've heard and watched Trump speak many times in, in the last four years, and uh, one thing that the main thing that disappointed me about the that uh, debate last night, uh, uh, quite often it started early and, and lasted. Uh, I was disappointed. Trump let them get him mad. He lost control of his temper, and I hated that because I know what a weakling. And I don't care if people debate this. And what a weakling Biden can be. And I just felt. Trump could have controlled that, and I think he lost his. I think he let his Trump get his temper get the best of him, and that's not David Trump, or uh, uh, that's not Trump. He, I just think Trump wasn't himself last night, and he's a better debater than that. I just think I'm, I'm getting worried. So you, you know about what my point is. Yeah, I do, and I appreciate the call. Thanks very much. My, um, I, I might disagree with you somewhat, though. <clears throat> I think a lot of what President Trump did was was strategic. Uh, you know, I think he was trying to tick off Joe Biden, and that's why he kept coming at him and coming at him, coming at him. He wanted to make Joe Biden blow, uh, and Biden didn't really do it much. He fought back a little bit. He called him stupid, he, or no, not stupid. He called him a racist. He called him a clown. Uh, he said this is so unpresidential. He said some things, but I think what President Trump was trying to do is get under Joe Biden's skin and play to his short temper. I don't think the president lost his temper. I don't. I don't. I think he does at, at times and should get defensive because he is facing attacks unlike any president in American history. And he's facing them from every angle, from the mainstream news, the television networks, to the online news and the Twitter and, and Facebook uh, technocrats who are running the social media uh, platforms. I mean, he does. He faces attacks like nobody else in history and is given credit and or rather is denied credit for so many incredible things that he's done. I can see why that would make him mad. Thanks for the great call. We'll take more of those coming right up. AM 1420, The Answer. You call to know my name by the end of the night. Wow. Okay, 1027, let's get a few more phone calls in here before the bottom of the hour. And at uh, 1035, after the bottom of the hour, Dinesh D'Souza will join us to talk about his latest movie, Trump Card. We're going to talk about socialism and uh, how it is creeping. And it really is in this country. If Joe Biden becomes president of the United States, it goes from creeping to sprinting. Full on sprinting. And that is what we are up against. And that is why the 90-minute debate, to me, is largely irrelevant in terms of who won or lost. We know what they stand for. Paul is calling us from Akron on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Paul. You're on the air. Go right ahead. 
Hi, I, you uh, really gave uh, Wallace the benefit of the doubt when any time anybody called in and mentioned his name as you know being fair or whatever. I um, I don't think I anybody think has called and mentioned Chris Wallace's name. I don't know if you're listening to the same uh, show. Who's who's I talked did. about Chris Wallace called, today so far? I, I called your show back weeks ago and mentioned it, and you come back with the fact that you expect his uh, professionalism to take over and be fair. Oh, so you're I talking about what was you expected going in, not not coming out. Right, right. Because I wanted gotcha. to remind okay, people so- that this Steve Scully is, is taking the next one, <clears throat> and he worked for Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy and has received praise from the well-known far-left radical Politico. So it's not going to get any better. It's just going to get worse. Yeah, you know, I fear that you're right. Uh, you know, I, what I said about Wallace, by the way, was I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because my fear was what you just said. You know, my, that isn't the name that I mentioned, Steve Scully. I mentioned Chuck Todd. I was afraid it would be Chuck Todd or somebody in that ilk who I think is far, far more antagonistic and negative to the president than Chris Wallace is. I mean, so by comparison, Wallace would be a better choice, you know, going into this thing. But what you just said about Steve Scully is a great point. You know, you've got somebody who's got an implicit bias against the president. If you're praised by a left-leaning website, and again, you've got that history of Joe Biden, I have no idea how this person could be chosen to moderate this debate or the next debate c-span they like to say yeah paul thank you my friend i appreciate it c-span typically you know people think they are a little bit less biased and left-leaning you know than say msnbc and uh you know uh, cnn and so on and so forth so people think oh c-span well that's fair that you know that's that's not somebody who's going to be biased one way or the other well not so much you know, you can find these people and how they manage to do that in so many places. I don't know. Rather than trying to find somebody who is quote unquote moderate and fair and not, you doesn't have a dog in the fight, which is what they try to do sometimes. I think what Hugh Hewitt today said today is maybe better. Just get two blind partisans. Now, I'm a blind Trump supporter, period. And the other one over here is a blind Biden supporter and leftist supporter, period. Let them go and ask questions of their their uh, their target. Let Rachel Maddow be on one be one moderator and Sean Hannity be the other. Hannity questions Biden, Maddow questions Trump, and let's get after it. Let's just make it what it is. Quit trying to pretend you're a moderate when you're not, like Wallace, like Scully and others. Let's just get after it. Call it what it is and get after it. Thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Let me get a quick time out here for news. I'm going to talk to Dinesh D'Souza. If you're on hold, though, do not hang up because I am going to have time for you after the, the uh, Dinesh D'Souza conversation about Trump Card, the movie, which is coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it's 1035. It is 1035 on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us once again. We are in a cold civil war. I see a threat to the very reason I came to America. Are we losing our country? We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression. Are we becoming the United States of Socialism? Who's behind it? Our country should be more fearful of white men. They control the black community. They control the black vote. A short clip from Dinesh D'Souza's latest and perhaps most important film, Trump Card. 
and you really need to do what I just did. I just got a little taste of the trailer at WatchTrumpCard.com. And this movie is so extraordinarily important for you to see now before November 3rd and to share it with others before November 3rd. It's more important than maybe anything he's ever done. But I'll ask him that. Dinesh D'Souza joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. New York Times bestselling author and acclaimed filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza. Thanks for the time. How are you, sir? Uh, hey, my pleasure. Good to be on the show. I've talked to you when you've had books out and when you've had other movies out, and I know you do these kinds of interview tours uh, whenever you do have those things, so you've probably already answered this. But looking back at all of the work that you have done, Dinesh, is this your most important film? I think it is. Um, the other films have focused, um, well, typically on an individual or a particular movement. Obama's America focused on Obama's sort of unknown um, intellectual and ideological history. Hillary's America was about the Democratic Party, but it was also about the machinations of the, the, the Clinton crime family. Uh, but this you know, picks up a huge theme. Uh, it's about socialism. The, the movie Trump Card is loosely based on my book, The United States of Socialism. And wow, I mean, who thought that we would be in an era where socialism would come into the American mainstream where the Democratic left would be pushing in the socialist direction, uh, even though there may be degrees of difference between Bernie Sanders and Biden, they're both pulling in the same direction, away from the free market system and toward some form of socialism. Um, and uh, also the country is in a tense uh, period, unlike any I've seen before, and the movie reflects all that and shows how we can transcend it. Dinesh, let's talk about socialism. And by the way, this is such an important thing right now because, you know, Bernie Sanders came in and is the first declared socialist in the history of the United States Senate. And then, of course, we have more socialists coming into the Congress like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and they wear that label proudly. Define socialism for those who don't. I had somebody ask me a couple of days ago when we were talking about Black Lives Matter not being about black lives. It is a political movement to end capitalism and to embrace Marxism. And somebody said to me, what is Marxism? And I give my best definition. I'm going to do the same thing with you on socialism. You know, They like to say, by the way, the democratic socialism, the way Bernie Sanders likes to uh, couch it, uh, is different than the socialism that we think about. So how do you define that, Dinesh? Well, classically and historically, for Marx, socialism was a class struggle. It was a struggle between the rich and the poor, or, as Marx put it, between the workers who were seen as exploited and the capitalists who were seen as the exploiters. And now Marx said that you need social division because powerful people will never give up power without a struggle. That's why you need to overthrow the capitalist class. Now, interestingly, today's socialism isn't just based on class. Uh, it is based on class division, yes, but it's also based on race divisions, gender divisions, transgender divisions, divisions over immigration. So you can see that while Marx tried to divide society kind of in one way, the left is trying to divide society today in many ways. And that's why in the movie and in the book, I use the term identity socialism. Why? because it's a marriage between classic socialism and identity politics. That's one of the things that's new about it. So when you talk about the creeping socialism of Joe Biden versus the overt socialism of Bernie Sanders, are we talking about just the fact that 
Biden has to pull in Sanders voters. They were so distraught, the socialist supporters of Bernie Sanders, when he ended his campaign and it was clear that Biden was going to win. He knows that he cannot win without their support. So is Joe Biden kind of creeping towards socialism solely to pull in the socialist voters? Or do you think this is really part of his new ideology, that he's becoming more socialist in his mindset? No, I think in the past we could speak of you know, the far left or the socialist faction is comprising, let's just say, 5 to 10% of the party, and so you need that vote, so you might kowtow to it to a degree. But I think it's probably fair to say that it now represents a substantial minority, if not a majority, of the Democratic primary base. And what I mean by that is that, that the most influential Democrats today are very close to being socialists. In fact, the most powerful socialists, in my opinion, are not even the handful of socialists in the Congress. There are socialists in the media. There are socialists in academia, uh, in Hollywood and the entertainment industry. So these giant megaphones uh, that get out uh, the leftist message, uh, these are the places where the socialist gospel is being preached. And so Biden sort of has no choice but to cater to them, because they now represent, if you will, the energy and a future of his party. We are talking with acclaimed filmmaker and scholar and New York Times bestselling author Dinesh D'Souza. His uh, new movie, his film is called Trump Card. It's an expose of socialism, modern socialism. Dinesh, um, explain your methodology, your research. To whom did you go to uncover uh, all that you know about modern socialism and how it is impacting this party? And also, you know, a lot of your branding in, for this movie, you talk about how we can work with President Trump to stop it. Can you talk about that and, and how you got to, the, to that place? Sure. Um, typically, I do the books and the movies as a one-two punch. The book lays out... Um, what I hope will be a kind of fresh and arresting intellectual argument. It has all the references and the footnotes. But the movie is a whole different thing. A movie is an emotional narrative, and we want to take the viewer on a sort of journey uh, that takes you from curiosity and wonderment to, you know, uh, we take you into the sort of pit of the, the left, so it's a horror movie to a degree, but it's, we also have moments and flashes of comedy, and it's ultimately inspiring and a, and a moving experience. So we try to chart out that storyline in a way that gives, that dramatizes these issues and helps people to understand them very clearly, even if you're not a habitual political type. Um, the way that Trump comes into the movie is in two ways, because not only is he the leading political soldier in the fight against socialism, but for most of his life he was the quintessential capitalist. I mean, contrast Trump with Antifa. They burn stuff and pull stuff down. They break windows and they knock down monuments. Well, Trump all his life has been putting stuff up. He builds a skating rink and then he builds this and he buys land and he develops it and he puts up apartments and he builds the Trump Hotel and he builds a resort. So that's what capitalism is. It's creation, it's innovation, it's taking risk, uh, it's employing people. And so we uh, treat Trump in the movie both in his capacity as the quintessential capitalist, but also in his capacity as the political leader of the anti-socialist campaign. Dinesh D'Souza is our guest this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, Dinesh, a lot of people have said, it's kind of like the um, the catchphrase about um, about socialism, socialism always looks great and works well until you run out of somebody else's money. Uh, and, and we've seen that happen in countless examples. Um, 
how do you how do you account for its growing popularity here? If we look at Venezuela, they went from being a thriving Central American country to the most impoverished to the point where people are roasting rats over uh, garbage can fires for dinner. Uh, North Korea, of course, is that you know. And in fact, I'll ask you. You know, we we kind of lump them in as socialists, but I think they're full on communists. Same with Cuba. Um, how can you look at the people suffering in those nations? How do people in America rather? look at people suffering in those nations and think, yeah, I really want to bring that here. People in America, many people, refuse to believe that we could become Venezuela, let alone North Korea or Cuba. They just think that we have got, we've got too much going for us. These young people who are attracted to socialism has, have no intention of giving up the abundance of capitalism. If you were to say to them, hey, you know, you're a socialist, why do you stop using your iPhone and stop using GPS and don't take Uber and don't go to an Airbnb, they, they would look at you as if you were nuts. So they expect to benefit from the largesse of technological capitalism, but they also want free college and they want free health care and they want universal mm-hmm. basic income and all of that. So I think that what's happening really is it's very difficult to make the argument, don't be for socialism because in the end we'll run out of money. Because people don't operate like that. It's kind of like telling a bank robber, listen, don't keep robbing the bank because at some point the bank will run out of money and then there will be no more banks to rob. The bank robber will be like, well, I don't care. As long as I can make off with this pile of loot right here and now, uh, I'll worry about the other problem later. So that's what's happening here. The socialist is always looking to a present benefit that a politician is promising him. The politician is saying, listen, pal, I'm going to rob Peter to pay Paul, and I'm going to count on you, Paul, to support me and vote for me. And so that's how it comes down to. I have had guests on this program who are Cuban expats and Venezuelan expats, and they have said the exact same thing you just did. Nobody in my country thought it could happen here. And that is why they are screaming at the top of their lungs to Americans, do not think that it cannot happen here. We said the same thing, and it did. And and you point this out, and this is, I guess, the point of the movie. It, it sometimes is very insidious the way it can kind of creep under, you know, under the uh, the radar, if you will, um, into, you know, infiltrating our, our governmental systems and um, the mindsets of the people. But then there's the overt part as well that we talk about here. And uh, Joe Biden last night at the debate, D- Dinesh D'Souza, tried to tamp some of that down, tried to say, no, I'm not for the Green New Deal. No, I'm not for, uh, you know, all of the things that Bernie Sanders uh, talked about. I defeated Bernie Sanders, so you can't call me, uh, you know, a socialist because I defeated the socialist. Is that yeah, a track but- that will work? Well, I think what the Republicans and Trump need to do is highlight that if you go right now onto Bernie Sanders' website, he basically says that his climate plan is lifted from the Green New Deal. He says the Green New Deal is the basic framework that is, a, that is where he got his climate plan from. So I think Biden's being very disingenuous here. Disingenuous here. He has moved in the direction of the socialist left. He was against free college. Now he's for it. Uh, he was a supporter of the Hyde Amendment that prevented federal funds being used for abortion. Now he's against the Hyde Amendment. Uh, he was uh, for guns. Now he's vehemently anti-guns. His position on fracking and, and oil has become more radicalized. So Biden is right in there with the socialist gang. And what the Democrats have been doing is telling the far left, listen, guys, kind of hush right now. Let us do our thing. Once the election is over, you'll be right back in the White House, and you'll be basically running the show. 
Dinesh D'Souza, last question for you. Is this going to be more about the debate last night? Uh, we have a, you know, I, I kind of said this myself that, uh, the results of a 90-minute debate as to who wins and who loses, I think, are largely irrelevant because we have a freedom-loving capitalist on one side and we have an anarchistic um, socialist in training on the other side. To me, it's a very clear choice. I don't care what happens in the debate. I'm going to vote for the capitalist. But you watched it yourself. Um, any thoughts on the outcome and whether or not it will move the needle with undecided voters last night? Well, it was a sort of a two-for-one debate. I think Chris uh, Wallace, although he had a tough job, people were interrupting, jumping in, and so on. Uh, so it was not an enviable task. But I still think that he was a little bit, you know, the referee who suddenly jumps in and starts punching one of the two boxers in the ring, and that's not the job of the referee. So it was a little bit of a two-on-one one debate. I still think that Trump pulled it off, but I think Trump can be a lot better and stronger and part of the way you do that is you hold your punches at times. You look for an opening, and then you strike. You don't have to constantly be shaking your head and making faces and grunting and interrupting, uh, because then it appears like you're not, you don't have the self-assurance and self-control. That is an important requirement in a president. So I think Trump did well. Uh, Biden at times, well, I mean, he looked horrible. He looked like a ghost to me. Um, and at times he did stumble. But, of course, people had set a very low bar for him by declaring him senile at the outset. All Biden had to show is that he can string a sentence together, and people go, oh, wow, this guy can really pull it off. <laughs> I think that's very well said. Dinesh D'Souza is uh, our guest. Uh, his movie is so incredibly important. It's called Trump Card. You can watch it now uh, on demand at uh, watchtrumpcard.com. You can also buy the DVD there, or you can get a great price on both, watching On Demand and the DVD. But make sure that you share it with as many people as you can. Share the link. Have other people purchase it, because the more people that see the danger of creeping socialism in America, the more uh, they will say, we are, we've got to stop that. And that begins on November 3rd with voting for President Trump. Dinesh D'Souza, thank you so much for making the movie, and thank you for coming on to tell us all about it. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, that's Dinesh D'Souza, best-selling author and acclaimed filmmaker. Uh, again, watchtrumpcard.com is where you want to find that. I've got time for a few more phone calls of debate reaction from you next. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, final segment of the broadcast. As always, it's a short one. Let's make good use of it. We're going to go to Dave, who's calling us from Akron, and he's got some thoughts on the debate last night. Hi, Dave. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I won't take too much of your time except to say um, maybe one or two quick things. Okay. Number one, I heard a caller on another show Monday who stated exactly what I and many others that I know are feeling. In 2000, for the 2016 election, um, people were happy that Donald Trump went in with the, uh, I'm just going to use the word aggression because right at the moment I don't have a better word, okay? He was aggressive, assertive, whatever you want to say. Uh, a lot of people didn't like that, but that's the way that many of us Americans patriotic Americans have been feeling and still do today. So what we expected to happen last night happened. Um, I think <clears throat> that he, that 
President Trump could have toned down, you know, the interruptions a little bit. I think, you know, some of that was overboard. Uh, but again, you know, his, uh, what he injected, that's what we had the last time. We knew this. We knew this was coming. And this is fine with me. The other thing is, um, I haven't heard anyone mention this, but maybe I've missed it. And I tuned into your show after 10. The, um, when he was asked, when, when uh, Biden was asked about the Green New Deal, you know, at one point he was, um, you know, kind of against it or leaning away from it. And then all of a sudden, they, Trump tricked him into uh, defending it. He actually said the Green New Deal will pay for itself and started going off on that. And then Wallace right. did him a favor and said, you support the Green New Deal. And then he said, well, no, I don't support the Green New Deal. He just, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many other people caught that, but I just busted a gut on that one. Yeah, no, I did catch that. You make some really good observations, Dave, and I'm, I apologize. I can't talk longer with you, but I got to get some other right. people on. Thanks for the call. But you're 100% right. He did. It was kind of a trick, if you will. You know, he gets him to defend the Green New Deal. It's going to pay for itself. What are you talking about? It's going to cost $90 trillion. And then I don't support the Green New Deal. He is so afraid of ticking off one side of his voters or the other. His moderate voters don't want to hear him go extreme, all, all socialist. And his socialist voters don't want to hear him go moderate. That's why he won't answer whether or not he's going to pack the court. That's why I won't give a name of nominees, a list of nominees for the Supreme Court, if he did have the opportunity, because he knows he's going to tick off one side or the other, and he's trying to display it coy, and he should not be allowed to get away with it. TJ, you're on AM 1420 The Answer. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah, you know, Bob, I don't want to be too critical of Trump here, because I know he was playing against the stack deck, but I do think he kind of blew a couple of opportunities. You know, the one when they were talking about law and order, he should have brought up the date and time of the Biden interview when Biden said he would direct redirect funds uh, uh, from the police. Now, redirecting right. and defunding is the same thing. It's synonymous. It means take money from the police. And it would have put Wallace in his place, too, because if you remember a couple of weeks ago in the Wallace interview, Wallace tried to nail him on that, saying, uh, well, Biden never said defunding. And Trump had the opening there. No, he said redirecting, which is the same thing. Uh, the only other one I would have brought up if I was him with the New Green Deal, his own vice president, Harris drafted the new uh, Green Deal with Cortez. But uh, that, that saying aside, he did probably about as well as you can do when it's two against one. Yeah, that's a big thing. It is, and thank you, TJ. Great stuff. It is two against one. And uh, and, and you make great points about uh, pinning Joe Biden down for some of the things he has said. I think there were other things that he missed that he probably could have hit him on, too. But there are going to be two more debates, so we'll see if it gets better from here. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Stay right here. Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Tomorrow, Dr. Everett Piper will join us on AM 1420, The Answer. Be well, be safe, and stay free.